You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. You all here this morning. We're going to get right into it because there's lots. Uh, we're continuing our, our sermon series through the parables of the kingdom of God. And uh, this morning we're going to be reading from Matthew 18, 21 to 35. So if you want to turn with me there, that's where we'll be reading from. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter approached Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay back what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, To be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. And I don't want to boast or anything, but because, because of me, my wife gets to taste this forgiveness almost daily. If you didn't get that, what I mean is that I mess up and she gets to forgive me. Uh, it's a good thing she has a sweet tooth. Uh, but seriously, though, Spurgeon, he, he's on to something here, isn't he, right? It, there's such a freedom and joy and, and even a, a wonder and surprise in being forgiven for what we've done, for our mistakes, for, for when we've hurt others, and ultimately for our sin. But there's also an, an incredible amount of freedom and joy when we can bring ourselves to forgive those who've hurt us. And as Jesus reminds us quite seriously here, to forgive others is a defining characteristic of a citizen of the kingdom of God. In fact, there's absolutely no room in the kingdom for anything that, that might seem to be at odds 
with forgiveness and grace and mercy. Albert Muller, he writes this, and I'm pretty sure I'm the first to quote this because this book like just came out two days ago. So I don't mean to boast or anything again, but uh, <laughs> he writes this, citizens of God's kingdom are characterized by mercy and kindness and compassion and forgiveness. We are included in God's kingdom only by his act of forgiving us. And as a result, we are those who forgive one another. Even when we might want to do otherwise. The kingdom of God is no place for malice and unchecked bitterness. And I think this quote is a a perfect summary of what Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant is all about. To be forgiven is to forgive. There's no room for anything else. And so, you know, I pray that as we, as we learn this and as we go through this parable today, that it'll move us to, first of all, taste the sweetness of what it means to be forgiven, and secondly, bring us to a place where we can truly experience the even greater sweetness of forgiving others. And uh, I'm just going to pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning through the precious blood and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, so I pray that as we, as we go through this message, as we go through your word, that you would continue to remind us of this truth, that that truth would be our foundation, that we have been forgiven of so much. And so as we learn what it means to forgive, Lord, let that be the foundation, let that be the root, let you be the source of that. Open our hearts to receive and be challenged this morning. In Jesus' name. So I'm going to be honest with you all. Um, we're talking over here about you know, the, all the working out that's been going on at the church. Pe- people are working out. It's great. I don't like working out. I really hate it. Uh, I don't like feeling the burn. You know, people are like, oh, I'm feeling the burn. I, that's not me. I don't like that feeling. I don't like sweat dripping into and stinging my eyeballs. I, I don't like cramping up because I do all the time. I don't like having sore muscles for three or four days after or, or I'm like walking like, like a board. Um, but despite all that, I do work out, okay, on occasion <laughs> because I do like being healthy. I like enjoying life. I like uh, being able to keep up with my kids. I like playing sports, especially I especially like playing soccer. So being fit helps with that. And so, just as the, the lady on my wife's workout video is always saying, and I'm always hearing it from the other room while I'm eating chips, <laughs> it's, she's saying, it's going to be hard, but it's so worth it. Right? It's going to be hard, but it's so worth it. You never regret it after you do it, right? And forgiving someone is a lot like that. It's hard, but it's so worth it. But the problem is that it's hard. When we're told to forgive, we we have a tendency, I think, to act like children being forced to forgive their siblings. We're like, do I have to? Right? They hurt me. Do I have to? In fact, we often don't want to do it at all especially when the person who hurt us or owes us is unrepentant and refuses to admit they're wrong, right? That tends to make us even less likely to want to forgive. 
And before Jesus' parable, Peter, who's, who's one of his disciples, he brings up this subject of forgiveness. And when he asks Jesus, how many times shall I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven? And as he's asking that question, you know, I can see all the other disciples being like, whoa, yeah. Nodding their heads in approval and respect. Whoa, that's pretty spiritual. That's pretty generous. Seven times? That's a lot of forgiveness, right? The Pharisees only had, had, had a three strikes in your out kind of rule. After three chances, they, they don't have to forgive anymore. So Peter's more than doubling that number here, and, and he probably thinks Jesus is going to commend him for, for being so generous here about how many times he's willing to forgive over and above what the Pharisees are even willing to do. He's probably pretty proud of himself. That's, that's typical Peter. But Jesus answers, answers him, no, not as many as seven, as many as 70 times seven. In other words, yes, you must forgive, but even more than that, there's no limit to the amount that we're to forgive. And it's also very, very possible that Jesus is actually drawing back to Israel's history here. They, they once went 490 years, 70 times 7, 490 years disobeying God's command in keeping the Sabbath year. And in case you don't know what I'm talking about, the Sabbath year took place every seven years. And according to the law given to them by God through Moses, every time the Sabbath year came around, they were supposed to forgive one another's debts, wipe the, the slates clean. But they didn't. They refused to do it. They refused to obey God's command. And every seven years, for 490 years, they refused to forgive debts. I guess they wanted their money. But they ended up paying for it, though. They suffered the consequence for their rebellion against God, and God gave them over to their sin, and they were taken over and conquered by Babylon and sent into exile. But of course, God eventually forgave them, restored them anyway. And uh, Daniel, a prophet who was in Babylon at the time, he prophesied that God's forgiveness would last for another 490 years after that. So 490 years of disobedience from Israel, followed by 490 years of forgiveness and blessing from God. Right? 490 years of sin, followed by undeserved grace and unconditional mercy. That makes no sense. But the message is clear. Forgiveness doesn't have a limit or an expiry date because it's who God is. Exodus 34, 6 to 7 says, The Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed about himself, The Lord, or Yahweh, is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And the next part of that also talks about how he's, how he's just and how there is judgment for those who, who disobey. But we're going to get to that in a second. But God forgives. It's who he is. And so shall his people. And to highlight this truth, Jesus tells us a parable about the kingdom of God. And the story starts out with a king, and he's, he's calling in his debts, right? He's collecting what's owed to him. 
which is his right. And then a particular servant comes before the king and it's revealed to us that he owes 10,000 talents. This number is actually pretty crazy. Does anyone know how much 10,000 talents would be for us today, you know, when we take in inflation and, and all that? Anyone want to guess? No? Okay, well, I'll give you a clue. You've got to do the math here. Get out your calculators. According to some of my resources, it would have taken the average person back then about 16 years to make as much as one talent, okay, which was equal to 6,000 denarii. Therefore, in order for an average person to pay back a debt of 10,000 talents, it would take them 160,000 years. Okay? So take how much you make in a year and multiply it by 160,000. That's how much 10,000 talents is. And what's Jesus' point here? That this is this is an impossible debt to pay back. This is an impossible debt to pay back. What Jesus is telling us here, that this is our reality as sinners when it comes to us being debtors to God. Our sin debt is so vast, so beyond our comprehension, so huge that it's impossible for us to pay it off or to work it off in full. And the wages of sin is death, but that doesn't even pay for it in full. And this is the first lesson of the parable, right? As sinners, we're in debt to God, a debt that we, we cannot pay off. But that brings us to the second lesson. God is merciful and forgiving. As the story goes, once the servant is made aware of the consequence for his inability to pay the debt, he starts pleading with the king to give him more time. But the king goes beyond his request here, right? He takes compassion on him and he forgives him of his debt entirely. He just wipes the slate clean. And this is, of course, what, what the King of Kings has done for us. Jesus has done for us. And, and we talked about this last week as well. Jesus, in his love and compassion over us, he paid our debt. He took the wages of our sin upon himself at the cross as our perfect sacrifice, his life for ours, his righteousness for our sin. Jesus paid the debt. And not because of anything that we did, but because of who he is. Because of who he is. He's a king of love, of mercy, of compassion, of grace, and forgiveness. But there's more to the story. Because all of this begs the question, what do we do with this forgiveness? Now that we're forgiven, what do we do with it? Or as Peter asked, how much are we supposed to forgive? And Jesus, Jesus teaches us the lesson basically by showing us what not to do. But let's be honest, by showing us what we'd probably do. In the story, again, the servant, he gets away scot-free, right? The, the huge debt that he owed, it's been, it's been forgotten. It's been set aside. He's probably feeling on top of the world. Invincible even. 
And so he decides to go out and find one of his own servants who, who owes him money. And, and if we stop the, the story there, this is probably what we think. You know, having just been forgiven of his huge debt, you think he'd be feeling compassionate enough to forgive his own servant of, the, of the, this even smaller debt of only 100 denarii, which is less than a year's wage. Remember, he owed like 160,000 years of wage. And this servant only owes like less than a year's wage, like a third of a year's wage. But there's no compassion. There's no mercy. He starts choking his servant even. He starts demanding that his servant pay him. And he collapses to the ground and he's begging for mercy, begging for more time to pay it off. But instead the servant sends him to jail because he couldn't pay his debt. And, and I should know that this is, this is in fact what happened in those days. In our day, when we can't pay a debt, what happens, right? We just pay more interest on it the next month, or we default on our loan, or we file for bank- bankruptcy or whatever. But back then, it was actually illegal to not pay your debt, and the punishment was prison time. You'd get thrown in prison until you could pay your debt off, and that would put pressure on your family to pay that debt for you. So that's what happened. Prisons were filled with people that just owed money. So in this case, the, the, the servant, he had every right to throw his own servant into jail here. But the point is, should he have? In light of the compassion and mercy he just received, should he have choked and threatened his own servant and demanded his debt to be paid? No. If he was truly grateful, he would have given this man the same mercy and the same forgiveness that was given to him. And then in the end, he pays for it, though. The king hears about what happens. He, he rescinds his compassion after hearing what the servant, servant did and throws him in jail where he's punished until he can pay off his debt. But let's back up a bit. Let me ask, why, why didn't he forgive Why didn't he forgive his own servant? Or let's make it more general. What keeps us from forgiving one another? What keeps us from forgiving one another? Well, I'm going to list seven reasons, since that seems to be the number today. But this list certainly isn't exhaustive, okay? These are just seven reasons. And as we go through these, you know, Listen to them with humility and and test your heart. Seven reasons or excuses that we fail to forgive one another. Number one is justice. We might not forgive one another because we don't want to let the person who hurt us or owes us off the hook. Right? We want to see justice. And we, and we feel like our forgiveness is just rewarding the person for their bad deeds. So that's one reason. Number two, another reason is because we're selfish or stubborn. That's a pretty good, pretty good reason. That's probably a lot of us. We're more than willing to receive forgiveness for what we've done. But yet we're unwilling to forgive others who've hurt us. In this scenario, we're takers, right? We take forgiveness for ourselves, but we also take what's owed to us. 
And the servant in Jesus' parable uh, represents this pretty well, right? He thought he got to have his cake and eat it too. He thought it was a win-win situation for him. That is, until it wasn't, right? Paul refers to this in Romans 6 as receiving grace so we can keep on sinning, right? That's a popular idea, but definitely a skewed one these days. And number three, another reason we don't forgive is because we like to have control, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one because this is a big one. We like to have the control. Because here's what happens. When someone owes us something, or when someone owes us a debt, then what does that mean? That means we have a type of control over them now, right? Until they can pay it back, we, we own them. The unforgiving servant showed us this attitude as well when he, when he choked and beat up his own servant, right? He, because he owned him, right? He felt like he had control over him. That's what he's doing. He's, he's exercising and demonstrating his power over this poor man that owed him money. But in that same vein, though, that's kind of an authoritarian type of control. But in the same vein, though, I was reading a book this week about relationships. And one chapter was talking about different types of manipulators in relationships. And, and one type that was mentioned is the person who always plays the victim card. A lot of us probably know someone like that. Maybe you are someone like that. Always playing the victim card. Everywhere this person goes, they find a way to be the victim whether by overreacting to something that someone said to them or happened to them, right? Or by just plain lying. And then they use that as leverage. Because once somebody hurts me as the victim, right? I can now get them to do anything I want. In their guilt, right? They're in my debt now. I now have power over them. And I don't actually want to reconcile, right? I, I, want to, I want to hang this guilt over their head and squeeze as much out of them as possible with guilt trips and blackmail and, and, and constantly reminding of them what they did, right? What, and whatever else. Now I have the control. So whether you're playing the power-hungry authoritarian or playing the victim card, in the end, we don't forgive or seek reconciliation in this scenario because it's all about maintaining control so that we have the upper hand in a relationship. So that's number three. Number four, when I'm talking about playing the victim card, I don't want to take away from actual victims, okay? Because another reason that we don't forgive is that maybe we're actually really hurt. We're actually really damaged and betrayed and angry. And so it's just really hard to forgive, even if we wanted to. There's a person uh, in a video that we're going to watch later who, who feels like this, and it's, and it's amazing, an amazing testimony of forgiveness. So damaged that even if she wanted to, she couldn't, she couldn't forgive. Number five, maybe we don't forgive others because we've either forgotten or we don't understand fully our own need for forgiveness. And the extreme side to that is, is, is to think like a Pharisee that we, we don't even need forgiveness. And thus in our perfection and in our self-righteousness, we have the right to judge others and cast our stones, right? Uh, one of the most 
interesting parts of the story of the servant, I think that's often overlooked, um, is that he doesn't ask the king to forgive him his debts. Instead, he begs the king for more time to pay it off, which seems really silly. If, if we do the math, that seems really silly, right? He, he thinks he can still pay that debt off. The king's kindness towards him should have led him to repentance and thankfulness. But he's not truly repentant. He's not humble here at all. Neither did he show any gratitude for it. Again, probably because he figured he didn't really need it. And if you don't think you need forgiveness, if you think you're special, why would you offer that to anyone else? Number six. Another reason we might not forgive is because it seems like weakness. A lot of us don't want to forgive because we, we feel like that's, that's the weaker road. And for many cultures, we, we do view forgiveness as, as weakness, including our own culture in many ways. You know, we celebrate movies about vendettas and, and revenge, and we think it's cool and tough. And they're entertaining movies, Sure. But the truth is that it takes way more strength and way more courage to love and forgive than it does to take revenge on somebody or or to harbor bitterness against somebody. So that's number six. And number seven, finally, another reason we might not forgive is that maybe we feel like we're too guilty and we're too far gone ourselves to truly receive forgiveness from God. So in a sense, we lack the capacity to forgive ourselves or, or, or see ourselves the way God sees us in Christ. Basically, we've already cast judgment upon ourselves, and so we don't even ask for grace. And of course, in that state, we're unable then to give it to others. Okay, so that's seven reasons, or, or excuses rather, to why we find it hard to forgive. And, there's, and like I said, there's definitely more. That's not an exhaustive list. But at the end of the day, whatever the reason is, whatever our excuse is for not forgiving one another, at the end of the day, we're demonstrating a heart that hasn't been changed by God. In fact, we're demonstrating that we still think we have the right to sit on the throne of God ourselves as the judge and jury and sometimes even the executioner too. In other words, when we refuse to forgive, we're forgetting who the actual judge is and how much he's forgiven us. We're refusing to trust his judgment and his justness over those who've hurt us, choosing instead to condemn them ourselves and cast our stones ourselves. We act exactly like this unforgiving and ungrateful servant when we don't forgive one another. On the flip side, Jesus is reminding us here that if we've received grace with repentant hearts, we'll actually give grace to others. To, to be for, to forgiven as we forgive. That's the Lord's prayer, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In a new daily devotional I just started going through this week, the author, uh, Paul David Tripp, he wrote this in, I think it was on Friday, Friday morning's devotional. He said, when I really reflect on who I am, when I take time to consider the grace that I couldn't have earned, achieved, or deserved, but which has been lavished on me, and when I remember that the grace came at the cost of the life of another, 
then I am joyfully motivated to give that grace to others. For the believer, harsh, critical, impatient, and irritated responses to others are always connected to forgetting or denying who we are and what we have been given in Jesus. So if we truly know and have experienced what it means to be freely forgiven, even when we didn't deserve it, then, then we'll in turn freely forgive others, even when they don't deserve it. And let's not get this wrong, though. This is not out of a sense of duty or religious work in order to earn forgiveness, because that's always the danger, right? It's always the danger to think that if we don't forgive others, we, we, we won't earn or hold on to our forgiveness. We always like to turn these things into, into works. And that's also a common misinterpretation of this parable as well. And the problem with that perspective, that, that to, to earn our own forgiveness, that we need to forgive others, the problem with that is that forgiving one another because we have to or because we're told to isn't forgiving someone at all. For example, how awesome would it feel if someone came up to you and said, you know, you hurt me, but the Bible says I have to forgive you or else I won't go to heaven and I'll end up in hell. So I'm going to forgive you, not because I want to, but because I have to. Is that, is that really forgiveness? Are, are you, are you going to feel forgiven in that moment? Not at all, Right? Most definitely that person is still carrying bitterness in their heart against you and is probably also now feeling kind of perturbed at God uh, for, because God made them say that, that, that they, they, they forgive you. Right? That kind of so-called forgiveness is just disingenuous lip service. It's, it's meaningless. But let's go back to the beginning of the story. Why did the king forgive his servant the debt? The servant didn't ask for it. It wasn't anything the servant did. He did. He forgave the debt because of who he is. Which means that when you forgive someone, it says more about who you are than about the person you're forgiven. Okay, when you forgive someone, it says more about who you are than about who the person you're forgiving is. The actual ability and desire to forgive is, in fact, about the state of our heart, about who we are, or rather, who's in us. And a heart that's been born again and made new in Christ, a heart that's filled with gratitude for the grace we've been given, will produce fruit that aligns with who he is, or at the very least will desire it. Albert Muller again writes, The king himself, Jesus, makes us citizens by forgiving us, and thus the kingdom's citizens forgive one another. Which means that if we do lack the capacity to forgive one another or to forgive others, and, and we're finding it really hard to do, the answer isn't to try harder to forgive. The answer isn't to force ourselves to do it out of a sense of duty either. The answer is to, first of all, 
get on our knees at the foot of the cross, at the throne of the King of Kings, and unlike the servant in this story, humbly acknowledge our sin. Think on the debt that we could never repay and the grace that we've been given. And if necessary, confess our need for forgiveness in that moment and then lavish in the sweetness and joy of receiving that forgiveness. And then and only then with a thankful heart that's been transformed or regenerated or changed in Christ, whatever word you want to use, only then will we have the capacity and the power of the Holy Spirit within us to truly go out and forgive others. And anyone who's experienced this process of being forgiven and then forgiving others in return will tell you that there's an incredible amount of freedom in it. As we said at the beginning, there's a sweetness in it. And again, that that freedom from being forgiven by God ourselves is, is, is kind of obvious. There's freedom there because we no longer have to carry our debt or our shame or our guilt or the weight of our sin anymore. But on the flip side, the freedom of forgiving others... It's it's surprisingly and unexpectedly beautiful. Because when we forgive others, you know, all that stuff that we're carrying in our bitterness, it's all all washed away. And on that note, what, what happens? What do we carry when we refuse to forgive? Well, let's look at what happened to the servant. When he refused to give, what happened? To, when he refused to forgive, what happened? He was he was punished. He was thrown in jail. He was removed from the kingdom. And remember, this is an allegory, but I think it, it can re- represent two types of prisons or exiles. And the first one I want to talk about is that when we don't forgive, we become slaves to our bitterness. We become slaves to our bitterness, right? Which is like a, a bitter, our bitterness is like a poison that, that festers and grows deeper into the, into the places of our heart and, and keeps us from moving forward in our lives and in our walk with Christ. It causes us to, to put up a wall of hurt, put up a wall of distrust against others, and, and it spills over into our relationships and not in a good way. It causes us to have a critical spirit against everybody. It causes us to become quick to anger or irritable, even at the smallest things. It causes us to see the world and everything in it through this lens of, of suspicion and, 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 and bitterness, right? It causes us to, to project our hate and anger onto anyone or anything that, that might even just remind us of the person that hurt us. Right? For example, if, if your father hurt you or abused you, you might distrust God, the Father. Or if a former pastor hurt you. You might distrust me or misinterpret things that I say, which happens. And let's be honest, we're still slaves to the person who hurt us in the first place. We might think we have control or power over them because we're holding this bitterness in, but that's not the truth. The opposite is the truth. They continue to win even if we think we have the upper hand. This life of bitterness is a life of misery. It's a prison. There's no freedom in it. But even more than that bitterness enslaving us, we're also bound to the judgment of God when we don't forgive. 
And this is even more serious and eternal. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 2, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If we judge people based on their actions, we can't expect to be judged not based on our actions, right? If we judge people based on their actions, we're asking to be judged the same way. And this is exactly what happened to the servant, right? He threw his own servant in jail. He choked him, punished him, threw him in jail, right, for, for not paying the debt. And therefore, as a result, the king who heard about it turned around and threw him in jail to be punished for not paying his debt. The measure he used against his servant was used against him. Maybe he thought he was more special or something, more deserving of mercy than his own servant, but nobody is more worthy than anyone else of forgiveness. To think otherwise is an error, and it's a misrepresentation of grace. And Jesus warns us here. This isn't a threat. This is the reality. Verse 35, So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. If you can't forgive others, then you're not acting like a citizen of the kingdom because there's no room in the kingdom for bitterness or shame. Again, any semblance of it will be removed or like Israel from the promised land, exiled, sent out of the kingdom. Bottom line, then, if again, if we can't forgive others or if we don't have any desire to even do it, then that means, first and foremost, we need Jesus to forgive us. We need to experience his grace. We need him to change our heart. And when he does, and he freely does, That's when the freedom comes. That's when the the chains of sin and judgment and bitterness are released. And when we become free to live our lives in the fullness of Christ, where in him we now have the capacity to truly forgive others. And when we do, we're displaying the evidence that he has changed us. And when we do, it's a proclamation to the world, especially to those we forgive of the love and the grace and the mercy that's, that's available to even the worst of sinners, including ourselves. It's a proclamation that the kingdom of God is a place of reconciliation, of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness. And so with all that being said, as citizens of the kingdom of God, let us then, through the power of Christ in us, And in light of the grace we've been given, continually strive to forgive one another. Let's pray. Lord, when we think of the the love that you poured out on us, the grace and the mercy that you poured out on us, when we, when we contrast that to the, to the debt that we owed. It can only fill us with, with hearts of gratitude and thankfulness. 
And Lord, as we think of that grace that you've given us, I pray that you would teach us what it means to give that grace to others. Lord, I pray that your grace would, would, would fill us, that it would overflow into the lives of others around us, to those that have hurt us, no matter how much they've hurt us, no matter how much we, we think they owe us. Lord, that pales in comparison to how much we owed you, and you gave us grace anyways. Let us not forget that. Let that be our foundation for the way that we love and have compassion and mercy and forgiveness for others, Lord. I pray for anyone this morning that's, that's bound to the chains of bitterness, that is finding it hard to forgive, Lord. I pray that this morning, um, as we go into communion, Lord, as, as we remember that your sacrifice for us, Lord, as we, as we go into worship and we pro- proclaim the praises of, of your grace and your love and your goodness, Lord, I pray that in those times that those that are bound to this bitterness would, would, would encounter you in such an amazing way that, 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 they would, that that bitterness would be removed from them, that you would give them the capacity to forgive, Lord, so that they can be free. They can be free from those chains, free in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.